What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Top 5 at 5 with your host, Johnny Quest. Today is Tuesday, May 19th. Here's what you missed while our president was popping prescription pills for a disease he doesn't even have. Amazing. Yeah, that could totally be a story all by itself. Trumpito popping pills in the White House. Somehow his doctor approved that shit. I don't get it, but I hope he doesn't get a heart attack off it. I I think in the study where COVID patients had heart issues on that hydroxychloroquine, it was combined with the Z-Pack. So hopefully he doesn't just die. Seriously. But come on, don't be stupid. Anyways, that's not today's first story. It's kind of related though, because due to the vid, things have been getting delayed or sidelined. And one of those big ones has been jury trials. But Texas, because it's Texas, not Wexus, is ready to push the envelope here. At least they're not inviting jurors in yet though. Instead, Reuters is reporting that they're putting their trust in Zoom. Now, what they're holding is called a summary jury trial, where jurors hear a shorter version of the case and deliver what's called a non-binding verdict. So yesterday, they held the jury selection via YouTube Live so everyone could watch. Then they'll hear the arguments in this insurance lawsuit, somebody suing State Farm. Quoting Reuters, officials say the abbreviated format and non-binding verdict make it ideal to test the viability of holding jury trials remotely. The parties, having seen how their case could fare before a jury in a full-blown trial, will sit down for mediation and try to negotiate a settlement on Tuesday. Courts have been pretty much shut down since March, so this is believed to be the first jury trial taking place over Zoom. Fingers crossed for no Zoom bombs, though. Okay, so in the U.S., people haven't really stopped shopping. Small businesses might be hurting, but that quote-unquote essential shopping has definitely continued for the big box stores. We all need that TP something serious. So you would think that these giant conglomerates would be out here eating, I mean, really banking on all this extra hoard spending. But while they did do better, it wasn't the huge jump that you would expect. Amazon and eBay both said that costs are increasing. Walmart, for instance, reported numbers this week, and yeah, they made more money, but it was only an 8% increase. So that's mostly due to the additional overhead of one, they got to pay workers higher wages, which honestly, they probably didn't even go high enough, but two, supplier costs definitely went up. And three, it costs money to keep those stores and shopping carts sanitized all the time. Now, four years ago, Walmart dropped $3 billion on Jet.com in an effort to combat against the growing giant named Amazon that was coming for their lunch money. Jet was just over a year old at the time, but was doing pretty great in revenue, enough to catch Uncle Sam Walton's attention, but they couldn't make it work. E-commerce at Walmart lost $2 billion in 2019. According to TechCrunch, the company tried to put a positive spin on the news despite those numbers, highlighting how it helped its digital transfer transformation. Due to continued strength of the walmart.com brand, the company will discontinue jet.com, the company said in a short statement. The acquisition of jet.com nearly four years ago was critical to accelerating our Omni strategy. Yet the news of jet.com's discontinuation is both in equal parts a surprise if 
probably expected by those who have been watching its progress. Surprise, because the continued impact of COVID-19 has led to a surge of people shopping online. Walmart itself notes that e-commerce was up 74% in the quarter, and so it would seem that Walmart might have wanted to double down on its own online efforts. But expected, because in reality, Jet.com hasn't shaped up to be the jewel in the crown that Walmart had hoped it would become. Going through a number of restructuring attempts over the years as e-commerce overall continued to bleed red end quote ultimately they need to cut their costs so bye bye to jet.com i shall forever miss your purple boxes waiting on the steps this was interesting and wired as air travel is really mostly restricted and looks suspect moving forward, one lawmaker is trying to get the American rail system back up to par. We're back to the world of high-speed rail. And really, why not? I mean, if it's more cost-effective than air travel, I get bigger, plushier seats and still get from LA to San Fran in under three hours, or Dallas to Houston, Portland to Vancouver at 220 miles an hour. Let's see, less pollution, fewer deaths. Sounds like a win. So a Massachusetts Democrat Seth Moulton is trying to get congressional approval for a $205 billion bill over five years to kickstart a national high-speed train network. It's not going to be easy to get it passed, though, but Congress is really looking for infrastructure bills to help spur economic growth. Let's see, according to Wired, in late March, Trump signaled on Twitter that he was interested, hyping support for a very big and bold plan focusing on rebuilding the once-great infrastructure of our country. But but in a statement last week, the president's Office of Management and Budget listed its top stimulus priorities as payroll tax holidays, releasing companies from liability, and permitting reform to facilitate infrastructure projects. A far cry from a bold and wide-ranging infrastructure program. Congress watchers say Republican enthusiasm for writing such a check is waning and fast. One reason is that Americans seem to have collective high-speed rail PTSD, a hangover from the big California project that has in many ways gone off the rails. Moulton's team says it has taken a whole bunch of lessons learned from the California debacle, which it plans to apply to the new scheme, end quote. Let's see. I wouldn't mind, especially as a big traver. But we need actual fast speeds, right? Not that wimpy Acela train that Amtrak currently has. I want bullet speed. But don't kill the cows. So is Hyperloop a more feasible option? Hmm, I don't know. We'll see. All right, aren't these supposed to be quick updates? <sighs> Sorry about that. Well, hopefully this one is. Microsoft kicked off their first virtual version of its annual build conference today. They dropped quite a few announcements, so I'm just going to quickly run off the headlines. And if something interests you, well, check out the links in the show notes below. So... First off, Microsoft is open sourcing Fluid Frameworks. That's a collaboration technology for embedding components inside of other apps. They're also unifying Win32 apps and modern apps with Project Reunion. This will give access to a modern UI for those older applications. Azure Stack Hub is going to get management and machine learning updates. They also introduced MS Cloud for Healthcare, their first vertically organized cloud offering. They partnered with OpenAI and built a super 
supercomputer dedicated to training massive AI models. They updated Microsoft 365, formerly known as Office 365, but those are mostly enterprise updates. The HoloLens 2 is getting 5G support. That's cool. I actually got to try on a HoloLens last summer and whoa, that was freaking awesome. The Edge browser will let you add and install web apps just the way that you do with regular apps. And they're also adding native Pinterest support. So also cool. And finally, if you use Teams often, that's going to be getting some updates that I recommend you check out in the show notes. Hope this helps. And finally, let's end today with a quick wrap up of something that I kind of skipped on by yesterday. I mentioned it in the outro about the whole Apple FBI thing, but I kind of just glazed over it. So let me just go one level deeper and hopefully this should be quick because Ben Lovejoy over at 9to5Mac wrote a pretty great piece titled How to Explain the Apple FBI Debate to Non-Techie Friends. So I'll probably quote liberally here. One, the debate is this. Do you want your iPhone to be secure or not? That is the entire Apple FBI debate. Now, this is spilling over from the Pensacola shooting late last year in which the FBI actually announced yesterday that no thanks to Apple, they'd cracked into the phone. But it would have been cheaper and easier if Apple had made a back door for them. However, quote, Apple already helps the FBI every time the FBI has a court order allowing it to access personal data belonging to a suspected terrorist or criminal. Apple offers all of the assistance that it can. It will hand over a copy of the iCloud backup of the iPhone. Now, this doesn't contain all of the data stored on the phone, but it does have most of it, including the notes that enabled the FBI to link the Pensacola shooter to Al-Qaeda. And honestly, the only things that it's missing is the data inside of specific third-party applications that don't store their stuff up to iCloud. But for most iPhones, the FBI doesn't need Apple's help. The FBI can break into most iPhones without Apple's help at all. It's expensive, but it can be done. This was true in both high-profile cases. Apple can't just unlock phones for the FBI. There is no magic way to unlock an iPhone. The safeguards that Apple builds into iOS are designed to stop anyone from unlocking an iPhone without the owner's permission, Apple is no more able to unlock your iPhone than I am. It is impossible to provide a backdoor that can be used only by the good guys. Any weakness that Apple builds into iOS for use by the FBI will inevitably be discovered by others and then used by the bad guys. An iPhone can be secure against everyone or secure against no one. There is no in-between option. Your iPhone can be secure or insecure. The FBI wants it to be insecure. Apple wants it to be secure. Which do you want? Well, my beautiful people, those are my top five news stories of the day. Okay, uh, here's number six, though. Here's some breaking news in the podcast world. If you're listening to this, you probably listen to podcasts and have probably heard of the number one podcaster in the world, Joe Rogan. Well, just a little while ago, he announced that starting on September 1st, he's moving to Spotify. And by the end of the year, he's going to be a Spotify exclusive. Whoa. It's still free. You don't have to pay to subscribe, but you will no longer be able to listen to Joe Rogan's podcast outside of the Spotify app. 
damn, this is a huge blow to independent podcast apps like Overcast and Castro and others. Wow, I'm I'm honestly surprised. Joe previously joked about like never taking a Spotify exclusive deal. I I guess it's still free, so he's cool with it, but I don't know. That money back has got to be the size of like four Joe Rogans. So I guess good for him, right? Well, second day of the week, man. We going hard. I appreciate you all. And as always, remember, wear your mask when you're out in public. Don't abuse HIPAA and ADA laws that weren't meant for you. Jeez, people. And just listen, stay focused, proud, and dedicated. Ignore the rest, but I got you with the news.